Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So I want to just set Cece up. Um, you know, she's a crazy, crazy prophetic dreamer. Sometimes it blows my mind. And she had this dream that basically she was in the intermission. And in the intermission, there was a lot of, I'm just going to call it pushback. And she's basically lived that out since Wednesday. <laughs> but she, um, y'all, most of y'all know her story in here, but she's going to tell you a little bit. But God has given her a revelation that has set her soul free. And I just know how good he is. She's an introvert. Listen, she never dreamed she would be talking on the World Wide Web. It was never even a sneaky little desire. You know, have you heard Bill Johnson said the two things he didn't want to do was public speak and write a book? That's CC, and that's the two things she's called to do, too. And so I'm, I'm a promoter. I'm her promoter, as you know. And because God showed me who she was, she, he showed me I'm a, I'm a gold getter. That's what I am. I'm a gold digger. So when I saw the gold inside of her, then I just began to mine it because she couldn't see it. And so part of even, I think, the plight for her is um, she, she didn't grow up in this. Thank God. Right? So she just delivers it out, the, out of this place that she lives, which she's a pure-hearted, childlike person. And, and so I want us to just stand and just stretch our hands towards her real quick. And I just pray for a double portion of your anointing right now on CC. And I just thank you today that she's such a faithful scribe of your words. And I just bless just even the healing within her own soul. And I bless the stability right now. She comes and delivers a word for us today. Amen. Thank you. That was so sweet. So, oh, did you get, she got the slide up. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? That was all her. Wow, what a cool day it's been already, right? Yeah, gosh, I can't tell you how beautiful he sees you as when you are surrendering. When when everyone came to the front that was surrendering, he was just like a man, almost like you know how when you 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 break into the ugly cry because you're overwhelmed with love. That's how he was. He was just like, oh, you know, and just so beautiful. He was he was undone. Jesus was undone by your surrender. Wow, I just have to pray for a moment. So Papa, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just, I pray that you're, you would be honored and that you would be glorified through what I share today, that above all else, that you would be honored and that your glory would, would fill the room and the heart and the minds of the hearers hearing this message today. And so I just bless you and I thank you for what you've done for me in this past week. I thank you for the unimaginable gift of freedom that you gave me in this past week. And I pray that, that you would do it for those that are hearing this message today. You did it for me. That means I know you will do it for them. So I just ask you to bless these people, bless the hearers with what you did for me this past week. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified through every word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had an incredible week. 
and I probably would have used a slightly more negative word for that prior to, I don't know, whatever day it was, yesterday, maybe, um, when it all turned around. But wow, the Holy Spirit just demonstrated his goodness to me, his nurturing and his care for me in a way that I've never experienced. I mean, I've probably experienced it, but you know, he likes to one-up himself. It's always better the next time. And and it, part of what makes it so amazing is recognizing when he's fulfilled his promises. When he said one thing one day, and you don't even know what it's going to look like, and then a few days later, like, Yo, this is it. This is what you said you would do. And that's one of the things that makes it so amazing. And so I wanted to share my journey with you over this past week because I do believe that in the power of our testimony. And there's so much. There's so much I want to share with you. Um, and, and so I'm just going to have to start. I, would, I could spend all, all the whole hour or two giving disclaimers just to set it up. There's so much to be set up. But let's just start. So last, last, last Saturday... I was spending my time with him like I normally do, and I had um, this really cool encounter with him and where I wrote and finally kind of confessed a level of brokenness that I'd been experiencing and a level of fear, um, and you'll hear the details of that in a moment. And it was a really great encounter with him. that It felt freeing in the moment. But, you know, I really have tended to prefer the times when he, he responds with a very specific solution, you know, and I'm really comfortable with the solutions that I can control. Like, okay, if you want me to go walk around the block once, I'll do that. Great. That's a simple problem solved, you know. Well, this was a really sweet word that he gave me in response to my me pouring out my heart, but it basically said, could you just let me handle it? I couldn't do anything. No, there was nothing. There was no solution. There was no nothing I could grasp onto with my own hand or my own strength. And that felt, quite honestly, a little bit uncomfortable with me because I've been recognizing this thing, how I like the solution, you know, that I can do. I can perform the solution. And so I thought it was, it was, it was a good experience and everything. So that was Saturday. Well, then Sunday came around, and I didn't really plan to share that word, but of course in her apostolic nature, Tisa could see something in the word that she thought was fitting and appropriate. And so she prompted me to get up and share it with you guys on Sunday. And I was feeling every 100% resistant to that. I was just like, this makes no sense to me. I don't even feel like this glorifies God. There's why would I do that? Like, I don't even think I don't feel you on this Holy Spirit. I mean, it was, it was a lot of just a no, you know, on sharing that word. And so I'm, he, it was not a a pleasant moment. It was a very panicky moment for me because I was in this lockdown. And gosh, if you have ever experienced any level of freedom in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, then the moment that thing clenches a hold of you again and the enemy locks you down, it is miserable. It is so miserable. You know, it's that scripture where it talks about the, What is it? The strong man that was you victim from the house, but then you don't replace it and he comes back and it's 10 times worse. That's how the that's my paraphrase of that scripture. Um, It's like that. It literally is like that, because once you've tasted freedom and and, you know, that's another thing he was saying that this this idea of surrendering um, that we 
invited everyone into today, um, you have no idea of what he wants to bring you, what's on the other side of that surrender. You can't imagine how good it is of what he wants to bring you. Like, you just can't. I say that with 100% confidence. You have no idea what's on the other side of that, and it is better than you could ever imagine. And so I think I just want to start there. I had several um, crazy events over the following days so that, you know, Sunday was locked down, didn't share the word. Um, Monday, Tuesday, I think, went by, and I was feeling a little better. Wednesday is when I had this vision, right, this crazy encounter, this vision that lasted like an hour, and I shared the prophetic message um, of that vision on Wednesday night, and I'm going to just touch on the highlights of that again today. And then um, that was Wednesday, and then I think uh, Thursday night, in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep, and I woke up and basically had this other crazy encounter with him that, and then by the time I woke up on Friday morning, I couldn't, I couldn't describe it all and I didn't have it wrapped around um, my mind mentally, but I could feel that something big had just happened and it was all connected to last Saturday. And so I spent Friday and Saturday trying to search that out with him and, and trying to put the pieces together so that I could share it with you. And so I'm going to do my best to do that. But I want to start with you, with first of all, with the word that I wrote to him and that his response to me on Saturday. And just as a little backstory, as Tisa said, you know, I, was, I wasn't raised in church. And so by the time I found uh, this place, you know, I found One Life and people that were really teaching the true power of the gospel, um, I had been through a lot of life. I think she shared the other day, I, was, I think I was 39 when I first came here. And so I had experienced a lot of life. I was very, very broken. I was extremely shut down. I was filled and riddled with anxiety. I was extremely depressed. My life just felt like it was one um, element of survival after another, and I could never get ahead. I was on major um, antidepressants, major anti-anxiety medications, and I was still extremely anxious, you know, and just... Uh, nothing was going well in my life, despite I would have said, you know, I wasn't running with scissors in my life. I was really trying real hard. I'd been striving for 39 years, right? Trying to do everything that made sense. And so, you know, I was what you might have called a good person. You know, I wasn't doing anything blatantly, um, you know, that would be disastrous. But that's the, that's the inner world that so many, so many people are walking around in today and they don't think there's any other option. You know, you look decent on the outside. You know, I had a good job. I had a great salary. I had family and friends and, and all that, but I had no peace. I had no peace. I was completely shut down. I had no idea who I was. I was spending my life trying, like I said, in survival mode. So when I came to one life, and I began to get healing and go through the process that the Holy Spirit um, led me on. And I did, as Tisa um, mentioned already, she helped me begin to see the real me. And there's nothing like try learning who you really are. I mean, you talk about freedom. You have no idea how freeing that is to just be in sync inside yourself, you know? Wow. And so I was that person you know, that always felt uncomfortable in their own skin and all that. So I began to like me. I began to figure out, you know, who I was. And, and I began to um, 
you know, begin to live in a better atmosphere of peace. I got off all of the medication. I began to prioritize, uh, you know, peace in my life and actually um, streamlining my life to instead of being filled with all of the things that I thought life was about and that I thought were necessary for survival, I began to streamline my life into um, just focusing on the one thing, you know, his his thing. And putting more and more trust in him because, as I said, I didn't grow up in this type of environment. I didn't know what God wanted to provide for me or who he was supposed to be. So I certainly didn't have any trust really in him. You know, I didn't, that wasn't woven into my perspective on life. So I, that began a journey for me that was just absolutely wonderful. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were really hard times, but the outcome and the, the benefit of this journey was, was amazing and I began to be activated in this in the in writing and I began to have these wonderful encounters where I would just describe his beauty and his wonder and I allowed myself to dream and I figured out that hope wasn't bad and I began to hope for big things and I began to speak in faith and and actually connect my heart to what I was saying not just being words you know I, I was raised where I was literally raised to not get your hopes up. Like if you expressed hope, it was get that back down because my parents were trying to prevent me from being disappointed. But I'm made to hope. I'm made, I'm made to hope. And so all of this had come to life and, um, and it, had, it was a beautiful, a beautiful time, several years of, of real, real delightful personal relationship with him. And then in 2020, I experienced a loss. I'm not supposed to cry. <laughs> I said I was going to be able to do this without crying. So, 2020, I had a, experienced a loss, and I'd never experienced a loss on that level before. And it came with rejection, and it came with betrayal, and it was devastating to me. And I didn't know what to do with that because I was in the zone now, you know? I was in tight with God. I was in the right community. I was surrounded by his goodness. I had learned his truth. And so what in the world? How did this happen? You know, what in the world? And so that has been a, an incredible process for the last couple of years of navigating that. And he always had my yes. I just, you know, with the little bit of strength I had, I hung on to my yes to give him. But it's been a journey of trying to maintain that passion because, you know, um, loss and disappointment can create bitterness very easily and it can create anger and fear and just cause all sorts of problems in between me and him. And so I would say overall, I've navigated it fairly well. I feel very thankful. Of course, I've had an incredible support system and and all of that. But there's been this thing in the back of my mind that just kept going over that I'm never going to be as free as I was before. And what was more grievous to me was that I was never going to be able to be as passionate for God as I was before. Because above all else, I wanted my passion restored. I wanted my passion to be whole for him. And I wanted that childlike heart back that didn't feel like I had to guard anything or hold back or, you know, felt like it wasn't tainted anymore. So I think I would say I've probably been trying to avoid going there on that topic for a long time. And so Saturday I finally went there, okay? So this is my word that I read, that I wrote to him, 
on Saturday along these lines. I said, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you today. I need to hear your voice in that brand new way. I know you've been showing me that it's you I hear more often than I knew. I need your voice today. I need your help. I need your nurturing. I need you to come and find me, to come and lead me. I feel lost. I feel so weak. I feel like I have a tangled web around my own feet, and I don't know how to get out. I can't do it by myself. I never have. I know, but this thinking that I can control and manage me has once again entrapped me. I am unsure of how to unwind it from me. I have confused truth with self-protection techniques. I can't seem to break free from those constraints to once again be free. I remember feeling free. It's not that distant a memory, but oh, how hard it can be to find again. You'd think the path would be clear by now, but somehow I still find myself off in the weeds. I have somehow erected boundaries around me. I have somehow barricaded myself in once again. I need your help. Please come and help me rise above. Come and help lead me once again back to your path of love. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. I've lost my awe and wonder of the love you offer. I can tell it's been tainted by pain. I remember the days when my heart welled up in a different way. I remember the way it dared to dream, dared to believe that life could be full of answered prayers and fulfilled dreams. I remember when I first began to believe that you were more than a hope, more than a fantasy, more than a far off place of refuge that I might someday reach. I remember when my heart let go and believed. I remember when I dared to dream with you like a child unhindered by fear. I remember when I would allow my heart to revel in the mystery of your love, of its depth and reach. I remember when I would allow myself to indulge in its intricacies, when I would try to describe the beauty I'd see when I looked deep in your eyes when I traveled unhindered on the path you wanted to lead. I remember, and I know it wasn't just a fantasy. I felt young once again in those days. I felt like my youth had been resurrected to see with childlike wonder and delight, finally. I had known life as an orphan child, hurt, betrayed, abandoned to a life of survival, but you resurrected the little girl inside. You showed her her true capacity to dream. You lifted her gaze above the horizon of that survival mentality, and you showed her the expanse of the heavenlies. You lifted her gaze. You showed her that life was more than just a life of tolerated pain, that it was more than just learning how to keep her chin up, more than about enduring disappointment after disappointment. You showed her that her gift of hope was meant to truly dream, that hope in her wasn't just meant for rebounding after more and more dashed dreams. Hope in her was meant to speak your words with authority of what could really be, not just be a resilient 
baseline that she always returned to. You showed her that hope was meant to partner with truth to create your reality in the world around her. I remember, I remember when I dared breathe that kind of breath. I remember that hope springing up in a brand new way inside me. I remember giving it words. I remember it coming to life. But since it seems to have redefined living, it met a kind of ending. The daughter you resurrected now seems to have accepted a consolation kind of living with the true trophy having having been given away. She seems to have settled for a lesser thing. Her hope feels older, surrendered to something lesser. Now she tries to pull herself up for momentary surges of faith-filled triumphant decrees to serve you, to please you, to fulfill her purpose, if only in writing. Now the Holy Spirit interrupted me right there and, and took me on this little side note and have, gave me this whole talk about my writing. And I'm going to skip that part for the, the essence of time. But um, a couple of snippets from it, he said that this defeated position of heartbroken living can only distort. It can only cause my light to be refracted, only lead to confusion. You cannot serve me from this place of defeat. You cannot serve me from a heart you've labeled deceased. And so he went on to speak to me specifically about writing, prophesying of the truth about what would come between he and I and what I would do for him and through he would do through me and writing and all of that, right? And it was, it was an incredible message. And so I responded there. I said, Papa, I hear the strong, steady hope that still lives in your voice. I hear your confidence in this. I hear your solid knowledge of what will be. I hear you, and I want to believe you. I want to be connected once again to your hope. I want to fulfill my purpose with you in this life you've given me in more than just a two-dimensional way, in more than just an in writing kind of way. I want to live it out. I want to live with the childlike heart you gave me, fully resuscitated. But I don't know how. I don't know how to restore her and I don't know how to keep her upright. Excuse me, I better grab a tissue. I said, how do you restore the broken? Is it somehow different than an initial resurrection? Is it different when the resurrected one is injured and newly broken? It seems different to me. Different than the resurrection and healing of those initial injuries. I didn't know you then. The not knowing was the primary problem. So much of my brokenness came from simply not knowing you and from interpreting life without you. But now, this seems different. I suppose you could say my new resurrected life had others in it. I knew life a certain way, and I came to see you in it. But now life has changed while you're in it. I knew a broken and pain-filled life without you, and your mere presence changed it. Your mere presence changed and healed the brokenness. 
So what happens now when the brokenness comes in the midst of your presence? I have tried so many things, it seems, and overall, I'd even be tempted to say it's gone well, that I fared well, but something remains that still seems tainted. How is this resolved? How is it healed? How do I become whole once again? How does my hope find its perch again? Will my gaze be lifted again? And he said, daughter, son, would you allow me to tend to this fracture? Would you allow me to tend to your wounds without you doing a thing? Would you allow me to be the healer I'm said to be? What if I asked you to simply trust me with this? What if I asked you to simply be real with me, to stop attempting to lift yourself up, but to simply remain before me in your broken state? Would you give me this gift, he said. Would you give me this chance to demonstrate my goodness, my goodness to you in this way? You've said so many times that you wanted most of all for your life to be a display for me, for your life to be a canvas for me to paint. If you'll indulge me like this, you'll soon find a place of peace unlike any you've known. You'll soon find a place of comfort, of home, despite the wounding of your soul. You've done all you can do to bring the healing that you need. The rest is up to me. Trust me with this. Leave it with me. Leave the burden of your pain with me. Your soul will be restored. Your life resurrected from a place of defeat. You were not wrong to label your heart deceased, but I am the one who resurrects dead things. Trust me when I say there was no power of man in the tomb that day. As a man, Jesus lay completely defeated by death in his grave. The strength of man played no role in his rising. Don't be afraid to admit defeat to me. Don't be afraid to lay yourself at my feet, consumed with your need. Don't resist your need of me. Your hope may have taken a blow, but your faith is still more than enough to come to me. Rest now in the process of being real with me. Rest and receive. It's a powerful and soothing word, isn't it? That's an incredible promise to receive from him. And it says a lot about where I was and the state of my maturity, right? That I would rather him tell me something I could do. Go, go tell me to do steps one, two, three. I would rather I be in control of my healing. And that way I can make sure I get it. So I, I have... I took some time yesterday and the day before to write out kind of an overall thing about this experience I've had this week. So I'm going to read portions of it. I kind of wrote it like a little article um, to help just describe the journey. And so I wrote about this thing that happened on Sunday after receiving that word. And as I said, Sunday, I couldn't get up and read it because I've, I didn't. Well, I'm going to read to you why. I felt the weight of my brokenness and the truth of my weakness, and I feared 
that it was a negative reflection of sorts on me, but also on God. I have grieved over the idea that my loss and perceived failure was a negative reflection on him when all along it's been my desire for my life to reflect his goodness. This perception gave entrance to the enemy, paralyzing me and rendering me speechless, much like it did Zechariah when the angel of God announced the coming miracle birth. I have so, I can't, there are so many incredible ways that I can see how the Holy Spirit was moving for me. I, I opened up my Bible the other day to start reading, and I kind of drifted off with it sitting open in front of me. You know, I hadn't started reading yet. And then I looked down, and that was at the first page of Luke. And I almost just flipped to something else, but I was like, you know, it was just like highlighted, you know, to me. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll read Luke, you know. And so I start at the beginning, you know. And so it's incredible because he showed me several things just from the short few chapters I read at the beginning of Luke. He shared um, some insight with me, and I, I found it incredible. So in Luke 1 um, is the story of when the angel comes to Zechariah the priest and announces that he and Elizabeth, who was barren, would have a child, right? And so um, I think you all know the story, um, but of course he the angel comes and prophesies who this child will be and what he will do and all this incredible stuff. And then um, Zachariah asked the angel, how do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is too old to give me a child. What sign can you give me to prove that this will happen? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand beside God himself. He has sent me to announce to you this good news. But now, since you did not believe my words, you will be stricken, silent, and unable to speak until the day my words have been fulfilled at their appointed time and a child is born to you. That will be your sign. The footnote in the Passion Translation there is that since Zechariah asked for a sign rather than believe the word of the Lord, okay? Translate that to me. Since I asked for a performance I could do, a task or a certain routine I could do, rather than just believe the word of the Lord, he was given the sign of silence. This is an incredible line. Unbelief keeps a priest from speaking until faith arises. Unbelief keeps a priest from speaking until faith arises. And I can't tell you how appropriately that describes my, my experience on Sunday morning because there's been times before where Tisa built up a word and said, Christy's going to come read this incredible thing. There's been, there's been times where that's happened and I just get up and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to read that today. You know, and then I just share something else and we close up. I could not move. I couldn't speak. I don't even know what I ended up saying to her, but I think she finally got it because I'm just like, mm -mm, I can't get up. I could not speak. I was completely paralyzed. And this is a, this, it describes why. Unbelief keeps a priest from speaking until faith arises. Obviously, my faith was not up. 
My faith was not where it needed to be in response to what God had just told me. And he came and he announced a miracle birth to me. He announced a miracle birth of what he was going to do to me in for me, just like he did Zachariah. And instead of receiving it and resting in it, I didn't believe. I didn't really believe, you know, I had doubt. Now, it's incredible because this, the Passion Translation, you know, one of the reasons I love them is all the footnotes that are in there that Brian Simmons has put in. The next footnote on this same passage says, this is the first spoken message from heaven in more than 400 years. When Zechariah, when the angel appeared, Gabriel appeared and told, prophesied that this child was going to be born, this miracle birth was going to take place, God had not been heard from on earth for 400 years. Can you imagine being the first one who finally, who heard God after 400 years and you're like, I don't believe it. You know, I don't think so. You know, can you imagine the weightiness of that? I mean, but we're just like that sometimes and he's merciful. Aren't we glad and thankful for his mercy? Now, interesting, the last, that this was Zachariah, right? Who God, Gabriel appeared to. The last person to receive a message that was heard from 400 years before was also Zechariah. Zechariah in the Old Testament, who was there on site and attempting to rebuild the temple after being returned from exile. And God spoke and, and basically catapulted the Israelites into finally finishing the process of rebuilding the temple. Now, I don't, there's probably so many nuggets in that, but if nothing else, we have been on the topic of rebuilding the temple and on the topic of are you a temple builder or are you a wall builder? This emphasis of the temple, what does it mean to be a temple for the king has been an emphasis for us this year, right? So just the, the, the timing of that has an extra emphasis for us that I know the Holy Spirit is saying this is personal. It's personal for me. It's personal for you. It's also personal for me, extremely personal, because my loss is associated with the name Zechariah. How incredible is that? And Zechariah means God has remembered. And so for 400 years, God remembered his promises. In the waiting, God remembered the promises. And he spoke at an appointed time. For those of you who heard the vision, appointed time on the timeline, he spoke about a miracle birth coming to take place. And so I wrote that I see now that the moment that I gave way to acknowledging myself to God, that this weakness, the moment I began to share with him the truth about how I felt in this fear and this weakness, the moment I gave way to acknowledge to myself and to God this weakness from loss, it turned into an opportunity for a miracle birth in my own life. The vision I had and shared just a few days later on Wednesday pointed to a birth at a chosen time by the Godhead. I believed at the time that it pointed to Jesus's appointed time on earth, but I now see that it had a dualistic meaning. God was wanting to birth a breakthrough in me by aligning my vision more accurately to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His birth at that appointed time that remember in the vision it began to orbit made way 
for so many more miracle births in our life. <clears throat> so about the vision, I want to just recap the vision just a little bit to um, remind us that it was a lot. I know we covered a lot. And it's not a simple vision and not a simple message to condense into just a couple sentences, but just to remind us that we had the vision of a spinning floor, which was the foundation that we stood on, which first was being upheld by Atlas, the, the Greek mythology guy who had the weight of the world, you know, the whole globe on his shoulders, and which was a condemned position that we, we discovered. And the weight of the world, and then he threw that off, and there was the symbolism about it being a prison representing the weight of when we hold the weight of our the world on our own shoulders and manage our foundation ourselves it is a prison and it is a condemned position it's not a, a sought after position blessed or anointed position and then the vision pointed to this optic nerve and the holy spirit said that he was connecting us to his optic nerve which then i saw was connected back to the floor but instead of it being upheld by Atlas, now it's connected to the optic nerve, God's eye, right? So now my foundation, the floor we're standing on is connected to God's eye, and he tells me that that's the throne room floor. And so he says basically that he's going to restore us and connect us to his vision so that our foundation is what he sees from the throne room and is uncompromising. It's not weighty. It's not a prison it's not a condemned position. It's a freedom position and a blessed position and an anointed position. And so he was bringing us into new vision. And so then, as I mentioned, the next part was the finger pointing to a certain spot on the timeline that lit up where it was touched. And then that light began to orbit around us. And I saw then the reproductive system, a womb, pointing to a birth at a chosen des de destined time. And so I knew that he was saying there's something, as I mentioned a minute ago, something that was birthed that is orbiting us, that is orbiting us, and it should always have something to do with our vision. Our vision should always have this birth in, our, in its sight, right? And so I immediately, of course, thought of the birth of Jesus Christ, and I felt like there was this huge emphasis on how that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, basically, the whole birth life, Death and resurrection of Jesus should always be orbiting in our perception. And that this was something, somehow this was all tied together to our vision, our, our foundation being tied to him, you know, being and being stable and being um, a freedom position. And so then remember we had the double-decker bus, which is an invitation to a double anointed, a doubly anointed ministry connected to the great river, right? Because it was in London, and London means the great river. So a doubly anointed ministry was what we could be achieved, could be, we could receive. A doubly, doubly anointed ministry full of wisdom and power is what was available to us through this gift he was giving of vision, right? And then we saw the tail fin of an airplane, right? When this incredible, I have to read that one, that line I read, the, and it showed air passing over the tail fin, and in my studying that, I came across the purpose of the vertical tail fin was to provide uh, vertical stability for the airplane, right? So vertical stability is obviously pointing to stability between us and him, you know, our connection with 
with the Godhead. And so this, this line, the vertical tail of an aircraft, typically consists of a fixed vertical stabilizer or a fin on which a movable rudder is mounted together. Their role is to enable trim in the yaw direction, enable the aircraft to be controlled in yaw, as well as to provide stability in yaw. So an incredible play on words because we're obviously talking about Yahweh, not the natural definition of what Yah means, right? So the vertical tail, so the message, prophetic message is saying this vertical tail fin is what gives you this ability, the trim in Yah. And remember, the trim in Yah was the ability to set a course, set a certain position, and not have to hold it in your own strength. We need that, right? We need all of this. And so he was saying this vertical tail fin um, in your life is what is going to help you um, with that trim in the yaw direction where God's going and be controlled in yaw, be controlled by Yahweh, which was what we want, right? Lead us and for him to be in control of us, uh, not us ourselves, and then to provide stability in him. And so that was an incredible picture. And then the last part of the vision was Jesus still on the cross and I proposed that it had something to do with our vision, apart from this throne room vision, that in some way we still had him on the cross. In some way, and you know, the difference between Catholicism and, and Protestant religion, that the Catholics have Jesus on the cross, it's a crucifix, so that's what they hang in their house, you know, is Jesus on the cross. And in the Protestant religion, Jesus is never on the cross because we believe that he died and was resurrected and he's no longer on the cross. He overcame the cross. You know, he's in heaven interceding for us. And so the fact that we were picturing him on the cross points to something about uh, along those lines in our perception and how we operate. Do we think that he still needs to be on the cross a little longer for our healing? Do we think that, are we still waiting for more of the price to be paid? And to, to receive our healing and have our needs met. Um, or does it op, did it point to how we operate with him? You know, we say, Jesus, rise up in us, rise up inside of me and operate through me. But do we see him in us as still being defeated? Do we see the power of the cross in a defeated position rather than the resurrected position? And so, and I knew that this had something to do with our tail fin, right? So the prophetic message, I left here thinking, what's my tail fin? What's the tail fin? Because I need that. I want that trim in the yaw direction, the control in the yaw direction. I want the, the uh, stability in the yaw direction. So it led me on, I, I was like, what's my tail fin? I know you're trying to give me something, but what is it? Now at this point, I've not connected any of this to Saturday. Okay. I'm thinking I'm having two separate experiences, but no. He is so good like that. So let me read my little paragraph on this. The vision and prophetic message he released to me on Wednesday pointed to an opportunity for an upgrade in his desire to bring a correction and healing to my perceptions, my outlook, my vision, and how I operated in life. He highlighted the incredible benefits and function of an airplane's tail fin, symbolizing the vertical stability. It provided in our walk with Yahweh. 
my spirit soared in response to its desperate need for each of these in my life with him. But what was my personal tail fin that would provide all of this? The vision pointed to Jesus on the cross, suggesting that perhaps my perception of the operation of Jesus in me was that he was still somehow on the cross, defeated rather than resurrected, still paying a cost rather than it being finished, which is, of course, what he said. It is finished. So the following night, as I said, he woke me up and seemed to prevent me from going back to sleep. He prompted me to listen to Bill, Bill Johnson's recent message, which I did in a foggy, sleepy daze. I wasn't trying to catch the message. I just hoped I'd go back to sleep as it played. You know, Bill has that soothing kind of voice. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, just let your words wash over me and I will go back to sleep. (laughs) And so I wasn't even trying to catch the message. I don't even know if I had the volume up loud enough, you know, to really, to really in my mind capture it. And so um, I still hadn't logged anything by the time the message ended. I hadn't comprehended anything he said, but I still couldn't sleep. So I played it again, you know, just hit that again, repeat. Again, I simply let it play without tracking with the message. But this time, when the message reached the end, right at the very end, my emotions erupted within me. I had to sit up because I was going to drown from my crying, okay? I went from the sleepy days, not comprehending anything in my mind. In other words, it wasn't anything I was facilitating or conjuring up. And my emotions just erupted within me, wrecked without any mental understanding. Truth began to reveal itself. Truth began to reveal itself. I didn't have to search it out. It just said, here I am, you know, here I am. I wasn't trying, I wasn't looking, I wasn't searching, I wasn't striving. I wasn't even paying attention, okay? Through my tears, as if the clouds I'd come to accept as normal were finally parting, clarity seemed to rise, revealing the scheme of the enemy and the course my human reasoning had taken me on. Now, I'm in a quandary here about whether or not to read the word I wrote from the revelation he gave me or to finish this recap. I think I'm going to go ahead and and share a little bit about what Bill's message said because I knew something had happened, right? So I woke up Friday. I knew I had freedom. I had breakthrough. I could see the light. I had tried to put words to it for my these kind of specifics, and I, but I knew that somehow this was all connected to everything that had happened over the past week. So I spent some time, again, listening to the message and this time paying more attention to, you know, the truth nuggets that are like every sentence that he says have, right? And so I've just kind of written this little thing and I want to read it to you to kind of point towards this message and this teaching that he gave. Highly recommend going to listen to it. If if you've heard it already, I'm sure you know it's amazing, but it's called The Secret Place of Power. Just for fun, if you were here on Wednesday, we sang in the secret place was the song of the day, okay? The song we sang Wednesday night was in the secret place. The Holy Spirit loves this stuff. The Holy Spirit loves to just put this little here, little here, 
So you can just, because when you, when you connect the dots, you're like so excited, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. You're so cool. I love his ways so much. So let me read this to you and try to relay a few of these points um, because it is absolutely freeing to me. And I, I hope you'll find yourself in it or if the Holy Spirit will reveal to you your personal version of it. So Bill's message brought an alignment to what had become jumbled and confused in my heart and mind. His message reminded me that for us, the ultimate assignment from God, the one I'm truly in pursuit of, is to display with my life that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of power, right? It's a problem if your heart, if you think your heart's been defeated, right? It's a problem if you have the perspective of the first word I read. The one I'm truly in pursuit of, the display my life, with my life, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of power. I desire for my life to be a demonstration of this gospel of power. Yes, I like my my heart just resonated with truth. Like you will experience this yourself, but when you've gotten all jumbled up and confused and the Holy Spirit just puts two points back into alignment, you know, you're like, oh, what a relief. Yes. You know, you're like, you're like, yes, you're right. That's my that's my goal. That is what I'm aiming for. Yes. It's so relieving just to feel the alignment with the Holy Spirit. It's like I knew that that's what I was doing and he knew what I was doing, but like, oh man, we're on the same page right now just to feel that moment of being on the same page, right? It feels good even in our personal relationships, right? But it's even better with him. So that is my true heart's desire. He then went on to teach, Bill, to teach the on 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which many of us know is the verse where the Lord's response to Paul's pleading says, my strength is made perfect in weakness, okay? The verse in the Passion Translation 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, but he answered me saying, my grace is always more than enough for you and my power finds its full expression. My power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. Another incredibly cool footnote. This is the Holy Spirit's way footnote here. Another translation Brian Simmons says is that the power of Christ rests on me like a tent or a tabernacle. Have we not been on that? Have, I mean, the power of Christ rests upon me like a tent or a tabernacle. This year for me has been marked by the question that he gave me. What does it mean to be a temple for the king? Tents, The tabernacle and the temple have repeatedly been a focus of our tribe's prophetic words and teachings lately. This the Holy Spirit will ping you like this and say, you know, this is this is for you. I set this all up for you, and I've been setting it up all this time for you so that you would see it. You would see the burning bush, right? You would turn aside and see. I love it. And this is again my my one of my main goals in sharing this message is to see how the Holy Spirit ministered to me. Just it that's why it's in the little things, not just the breakthrough answer at the end. It's the way he nurtured. You know, nurturing is that little side hug or that well pulling you a little bit closer, sitting with you a little bit longer. It's the little things that add up to nurturing, and that is how the Holy Spirit does it. He's like, let me just have you read this footnote that you know will resonate. 
inside of you because you just shared a word about it last week or somebody else just shared a word about it or you just happened to sing that in your prophetic worship time, you know? So I love his ways. So I feel his personal highlight for us on the revelation found in this verse today. For whatever reason, however, this verse in my own mind had only been applied to a certain kind of weakness. I suppose I probably applied it as to the weakness of my own strength to perform and serve him. It had never occurred to me to apply this verse to the kind of weakness that Bill addressed. So, right, are you with me? Like, I thought, well, I don't, I have no personal strength to offer you, Jesus. I, I, I don't want to get up here and talk. I'm scared of the microphone. I have nothing to say. I'm inadequate. That's my weakness. I kind of thought was my weakness that he could be shown strong through, right? But it's so much more than that. So Bill taught on weakness related to loss, disappointment, and betrayal. Now we know in his personal life, he has experienced this on an extreme level recently. It was a very, very powerful message. So the kind of weakness that is felt when you've taken a stand for God and instead of the triumph that you anticipated, you experienced what looks like failure or defeat. That is my disappointment. That is my 2020 experience since then and what I've been, you know, working through in my mind on how to see those events. I took a stand for God in my life leading up to that point. Over and over and over again, I made these hard choices where I took a stand for him, and I expected triumph. I had expectations, and that's not what happened so far, anyways, right? So he spoke of the moments that we have, the opportunities that we, moments we have the opportunity to embrace our loss, acknowledge our disappointment, and admit how deeply marked we are by it. And that's what I'd finally done in my word on Saturday. I had been avoiding it all this time, ignoring it, trying to manage it myself, trying to deny that it existed in me. But it had deeply marked me, and that's what I confessed to him on Saturday. Without knowing it, okay, those opportunities to embrace these losses, without knowing it, This was the door I opened on that Saturday. Bill went on to describe the power of God as being like a two-part epoxy where when both parts come together, there is an exponential increase in the demonstration of power. The first part and more commonly seen and glorified part is the bold and aggressive expressions of faith and obedience to the Lord. Again, these are, these are the parts that lead to the demonstrations of power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one is those bold, you know, take a stand, all blow in your ear and do these radical things, you know, just because out of obedience for God and will proclaim these, you know, these, these massive, uh, powerful declarations and out of boldness and ag- aggressiveness, right? Expressions of faith and obedience. But the second part of the two-part epoxy and the less common part, the less celebrated part, is the surrender in our moments of brokenness. When we still give him our yes despite it. Now, as I said, 
in my moment of brokenness in the actual, you know, early days, he still had my yes. He's had it this whole time. So it, I would say I did, I did surrender that. I've made the choice over and over again, multiple times, you know, but I, this, I didn't have the fullness of it. There's this, that thing about when you, you know what you're supposed to do. And so you could, you can, you know, with all your strength, make yourself do it, but you're not really doing it out of freedom in your heart. You're just doing it out of obedience because you know you're supposed to. But it creates those moments you choose your yes like that out of obedience creates a tension inside you because your heart isn't fully understanding what you're doing and doesn't really agree with you. And so you've created this tension inside that remains and has to be dealt with. And so that's what I would say I've been wrestling with in all these different ways for the past couple of years was this tension of I'm making sure I'm doing the right thing outwardly and I'm doing everything within my power to align myself inwardly with my yes. But the truth of the matter is there was a tension in there because there was something that wasn't quite right. Okay. That I hadn't yet done. So Bill said that there's something about grabbing these moments as part of our yes. All of us experience them. Some of us try to manage them deny them, ignore them, but to embrace them in our yes, in our surrender, is an unusual form of weakness where you come in low and in that place of absolute surrender, you become the person he can entrust with greater power. He said, that he said this, that you can't find this specifically said in scripture, but to collectively scripture implies that it is as if God is saying, if you can trust me, trust me with loss, I can trust you with gain. If you can trust me with your weakest moments, I can trust you with demonstrations of power. I can trust you with an increase and that which brings breakthrough. So this is freedom for me, right? Because I know, we, he, he, he said, we're on the same page. I know that you want my power to be demonstrated through you, and you want everything to be done for my glory. And I'm like, yes, I know, I, I am. that's true. We're on the same page. So then he started speaking to me about that, right? In the, all of these ways. He's saying, let me speak to you about that. And so through Bill and this, you know, to un- I didn't know that he'd preach this on Sunday. So I opened this door with God to hear this and receive this healing on Saturday. And, and Bill spoke a message the next day on this. It's incredible. So um, he's, he's saying, he's speaking to that which is my true hunger, which is to demonstrate his power, right? With my life. That's what I, that's what I want. So he's saying, you have something you have something in your loss, you have something in your disappointment and your brokenness that is actually the second part. It is the double-decker bus. It's the next layer of your ministry to bring you a double anointing. You have something in your hands and you've only used part one and you've never used part two fully. Bill said that problems do not attract power but they create opportunities for surrender that attracts power. So by his extravagant mercy, 
I could now see my place of surrender. I could see what I had unknowingly held onto that trapped me and held me hostage to doubt, fear, and condemnation. He led me through a process of seeing how this assumption on my part, this wrong belief, was tainting my walk by robbing my peace. I've, and as I said, this he had to walk me through some details to unravel this from me about what was really happening internally. And so I think I'm going to go ahead and hop over and share that with you because I feel like it will speak to some of you. And... Um, I, I, I want to give him all the glory. So this was a, I said it was my tail fin, right? He said, I want to give you this, you need that vertical stabilizer. This is my tail fin. This is the thing that has been out of whack and therefore I haven't had the stability. I haven't had the control by him, you know, through me that I wanted. I hadn't had the ability to set a position in my life and set a course and say, I don't have to exercise any strength to keep me there. That's what that trim was, remember? This, my tail fin was out of whack. My tail fin was out of whack. And so I've been trying to hold the rudder in the, in the position while flying the plane with my own strength, and it's exhausting. So in the middle of the night, early Friday morning, I said, Papa, thank you for what you've shown me and helped me to see today. Thank you for untangling the war that has been underway within me that I could not even identify. Thank you for dismantling this weapon that was being used against me without my knowledge. How true it is that we cannot be healed without you in any way. And we won't be healed of what we won't admit. But we won't admit what we can't see. So thank you for helping me to see Thank you for helping me to see so that I could surrender. I'm telling you, everything I'm about to read you here, read here is I have heard the structure of this truth. I may have even said it from up here as a principle, but I couldn't see what was in operation and within me that could not, my heart couldn't fully accept it and receive its freedom. They're like, it's that thing about you can operate in truth on principle, but you don't have the trim. You, you have to hold yourself there with your own strength out of principle. But I could not see. And I spend, I, the leader of this ministry, I spend all sorts of time with her all the time. I have, you know, her, I, her ear all the time. And she's tried to tell me, but I couldn't, I couldn't receive it because it's the Holy Spirit that has to do this in us. It's the Holy Spirit that has to come and break you free so that you can receive it. It's, it's, and it's, it's the thing about it's only in his glory, for his glory, only in his strength, nothing out of our own striving, nothing out of our own doing, which is exactly what he told me on Saturday, right? He said, if you'll indulge me, like, look, you know, you work so hard for me and I love you and you work so, you're so hard. You're just running on that hamster wheel all the time. But if you could just this once indulge me, maybe let's do it my way this time. And let me bring you some healing. If you could just stay still long enough, then indulge me. And he called it a gift. And what a gift it really was for me. I mean, wow. So I said, I see a connection now between smallness and control that I had not realized. I see a connection now between 
the enemy's attempt to make us feel small and powerless so early in life, right? And his long-term plan to sabotage our walk and purpose with him. And so that, you know, that is something that is a, a key to inner healing is recognizing, of course, that the enemy did specifically target you at a very early age to set you up with problems that you will manage and protect and and work your whole life around so that you will miss these moments right here that we're sharing tonight. But the Holy Spirit, of course, trumps him every single time. And so if you partner with him and let him, he will bring you the thing that heals the injury from way back when that has kept you locked up and unable to receive that freedom. So, I see now that part of the draw, the attraction to the gospel, is the invitation to walk in power, as Jesus did. When we've experienced injustice, lack of protection, been victimized by powerlessness in one way or another, we hunger for access to power. That's just a human nature thing. We don't even need it to be our own power. We just want to be under the canopy of someone's power. Somebody stronger than us and someone that's more powerful and just. And so we are eager to follow this one who reigns with all authority over heaven and earth. We are eager to serve him, to follow him, to be called his family, to be told we're under his shelter and his protection and his power, right? So the invitation to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior is beyond inviting for so many reasons. And rightfully so, but I'm seeing today a misconstrued perception about this invitation. I see now that part of the appeal to have the resurrected Jesus be alive in me is for his power to be wielded through me. I see now that I made an assumption of sorts, assuming that power wielded through me would satisfy something in me. I'd had no idea this was in me. I had no idea I thought this, okay? I assumed that it would satisfy and redeem all the times that I felt powerless about the injustice I saw around me. I assumed that, by, as a, that it was a byproduct of his power flowing through me, that it would heal the injury of powerlessness in me. Now, I never wanted to wield his power for my sake. It was always supposed to be for his glory, for his purposes. But I assumed that it would simultaneously meet this need in me. That I would be a benefactor by simply being on the right side of the battle, of being the vessel that he would flow through. I might go on to describe it like this. Like when you imagine something, you imagine a moment coming, you're like, oh, I imagine what it'd be like to drive a race car. You know, you kind of think about what it would feel like. So I just, without consciously deciding it, I imagined that power being wielded through me would probably feel a certain way. And I had a need to be for powerlessness to be satisfied. And so I just imagined that's probably going to feel really good. You know, subconsciously, I imagined that it would satisfy me. So this healing, the meeting of this genuine need to satisfy and heal the, the smallness, right, and the powerlessness, it is, in fact, something 
that you promised, Father. So I, I hear it preached. So it was easy to allow this assumption to remain in me. You do promise to heal the brokenness. You do promise to meet every need, but it was me who assumed how it would come. I imagined praying with the power of King Jesus flowing through me and couldn't help but imagine the satisfaction it would bring. I learned that my heart was washed clean and now one with his, so my wishes would be in line with his. I learned that my heart really did burn for what was on his heart and that my craving for the satisfaction of his desires was in fact holy. So you see, it was easy to allow this assumption to remain that what I needed satisfied in me would be provided as his power flowed through me for his purposes. But now I see that the truth of the healing you would bring, the satisfaction of my every need, was simply connected to the wrong thing. You have indeed called me to rise up and walk with the power of resurrected Jesus flowing through me. I was born for such a time as this. I do have a purpose to fulfill. I am a conduit for your will to be done. I am called to bring heaven to earth. I am called to cover the earth with the knowledge of how I know you. I am meant to be a powerful force that confronts darkness, brings healing, and sets captives free. But none of it, none of it is meant to satisfy anything in me. Every drop of your power flowing through me is purely for your glory. Its purpose is not to satisfy the injustice I've seen. Its purpose is not to redeem every wrong done to me. You don't need to demonstrate power through me in order to heal me. He does not need to demonstrate his power through one of us in order to have the ability to heal us. I said, Papa, you are more than enough on your own without me to heal me. Your fathering of me, your nurturing and care of me is a byproduct of your love for me, not your power flowing through me. Love always comes first. Love is always in the lead. Love is what heals me, holds me, and then becomes the fuel for my purpose being achieved. Love always comes first. Now, I, I like to share this sometimes, how, what a thin line this is, okay? This is, I have that picture of... Um, you know, we were remodeling the bathroom and we got a new mirror. And so the mirror comes with that clear film over it, you know. And so then once you get it all installed, then you pull that little thin piece of plastic off. Well, you know, when you look at the mirror with the plastic on, you can kind of see what you're looking at, but it's distorted. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in these things. I knew that love went first. I knew that I wasn't you know, wanting to serve him to satisfy me. But there was this thin little sheet of plastic on there that was distorting it. 
And the Holy Spirit is so good. That's why it says, you know, his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide like a scalpel. He will come and peel that wrong belief right off of the truth so you can really experience the fullness of that freedom in the truth. Love always comes first. This is a critically important and foundational truth. If we are to be a pure vessel for your power to flow through, we must fully believe that it's your love that supplies all we need. If we think in any way that our needs are not yet met, still unfulfilled, still lacking, when we step out to do our purpose, we will hope to achieve what we need through the power we wield in your name. I'm just telling you, you will not be able to resist doing this. You will not be able to tell yourself, don't try to get your needs met. You will naturally, as a human being, try to get your needs met. If you don't know that you've already been provided, that love has already given you everything. It may not have been manifest in you yet. You may not have processed through it. And, you know, we're all still in process. We're all, we all are. We all, none of us know the full extent of what love was really provided for us. But we've got to, we've got to, that's why we, you know, in this month of awareness and in our focus on faithfulness next month, we've got to have faith in what love really provides and what love. So our attention's on the right thing. We don't want to be spending all of our time thinking about how do we go out and minister to people and how do we go out and serve and glorify him and bring honor to his name when we haven't spent any time thinking about the power of his love for us and what we and that it is what we've got to focus on the fact that love is our resource. His love for us is our resource. If we skip that in any measure in any oper operating system that we have, we will distort the process of fulfilling our purpose. And we won't even know it. I wrote that perhaps this is why we, or people in general, sometimes see so many unanswered prayers. Perhaps this is why the true power of the gospel seems to barely squeak through our ministries dedicated to you. That's not okay with me. The true power of the gospel barely squeaking through our ministries that we are fully dedicated with everything in us to him. That should not be. And this to me is a, a powerful key to righting that wrong. I believe it's true when it's said that you will always protect love. So I can see that you would protect love in this way too. You would guard the sanctity of love to protect the honor it is due. When credit is given for our healing and wholeness, you would want to ensure that credit was given where credit is due. Love is where it's due. Love gets the credit for our healing, not power. Love gets the credit for our healing. Anything else would support the lie that we are loved because we serve you. Anything else would uphold the notion that we must work to satisfy you in order to receive love from you. What a gross injustice it would be to allow the sanctity of love to be so misconstrued. Love is simply that important to you. And why wouldn't it be? 
giving love's character away would blur the lines of your very own face. So of course, of course God would protect it. Of course God would, would capture our attention and whatever he has to do. Of course he would. Of course he wouldn't let his power flow through. It's more important to him that you know the truth about his love than you wielding power for him. It's that important to him. He doesn't, he would rather you know the, the true nature of who he is because he is love, right? He would rather you know that than, than serve him. And he will protect that at all costs. So if you're trying to be in ministry and do your purpose and you've gotten this out of whack, then God himself will say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let my power flow through you. As much as I love that person you're praying for, I'll bring healing another way for them because I care too much about you knowing the true source of the healing and the need meeting that you need. Now, there's a little bit more to this. Are y'all good? Can we just keep going a little bit more? Okay. Okay. Are y'all freezing? Yes. Okay. Thank goodness. I'm freezing. Okay. Okay. There's more to this I still must flesh out. If I operate with any level of this subtle assumption, okay, remaining in me, that my needs will be satisfied by your power flowing through me, then I will encourage control to remain in me. This mis misplaced thing that we just talked about will promote control in me, in my heart, in my life. All without us knowing it, right? We want, I had no idea this was going on in me. It fuels the notion that I am, or at least could be, in control of my life, the fulfillment of my destiny, everything. If I have the equation set up that says A plus B equals C, then I will expect C to be the outcome of my operating. Okay? So, again, all those decisions I made that felt like really hard decisions to make a stand for him that I talked about, I had an expected outcome, right? Which was what Bill talked about, that I expected triumph. And it's not wrong to expect triumph. It's not wrong to expect his goodness to come and, and, and go through, but I had this thing that I just described attached to it. I had the satisfaction of my needs tied to my stand for him. So the decisions I made to take a big stand for him, something was in there that said that would meet my need. You know, if you really follow it back, I expected my need to be met that way. So then when that triumphant outcome didn't happen, well, that just blew everything up. Because God, I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted to meet my needs. I thought you promised to meet my needs. You know, I thought this was part of how it was going to happen. So there, it just entangled me for that, for that reason. And then just to show you a little bit more about how that plays out, if it's, that's in the equation, right? If I do A and you do B, then C will be the outcome. So it creates expectations, right? This, this, all this wrong belief I just described creates expectations that were never meant to be of my choosing. Expecting a certain outcome creates a disastrous problem because when the expected outcome doesn't happen, 
I'm naturally going to look for somebody to bear the blame because I had an equation. So if I don't get C, the outcome of C, then something's wrong with my equation. I better find out what it is. That's looking for blame. So I will look back at the equation to see who failed to show up. Was it A or B? Was it God or was it me? And so begins the fruitless searching, the torment of questioning, the despair of doubt, a trap for which there is no way out. And so I can beat myself up, ruminate on past decisions, contort and reframe all of my ways until I'm completely drained. And then, still with no answers found, God is the only remaining part of the equation. And this failed expectation still needs an explanation. I said, have you ever tried swimming with concrete tied to your feet? Doubting the goodness of God, whose breath you are breathing, is a suffocating experience. I'm telling you that it's not something that he doesn't mind and he is forgiving and he is merciful and he will help you out of it, but it is a miserable experience to doubt the goodness of God. He will talk to you about it. You can take all the time you want to, to be in that place. He's not mad. It's, I, you know, it's, it's not critical to his plan. It will be miserable for you. Just the nature of a child of God doubting their father who's providing the very breath they breathe, will make you feel like you're suffocating. Talk about some anxiety attacks. I've had plenty of those. So, and this is all because of an equation that suggests an expectation that then demands an explanation. So if that's just a little tagline, I just saw the, there's the three E's, right? Equation, suggests to me that there's an expected outcome. And then when that doesn't happen, it demands an explanation. That mindset will demand an explanation. In truth, however, the outcome, the expectation of the outcome in question doesn't need an explanation. Because there was really no such equation. Do you understand the freedom that brings? If you have been warring with which part of your equation was wrong and you exhaust it time after time and you just flip-flop back and forth. Was God, are you not as good as you thought, as I thought? Am I not as good as I thought? Did I not do the right thing? Are you not doing the right thing? Can I not trust you? Can I not trust me? That, you can ping pong back and forth on that forever. So when you realize that was a faulty equation from the beginning, it was never intended to exist, that is freedom. That is so, so freeing. There was no need for an explanation about the outcome because there was really no such equation. This disorder of how I had things in my perception overlooks an essential element of my salvation. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. I crowned him as king of my life. I said he could rule and reign in me over my life. Not just in part, but fully. In other words, I said that he gets to choose. 
He gets to choose. I said, and I still do, that only he has the right to rule my life. Not me. I relinquished control, including control of outcomes. I do not wear the crown that I placed on his head when I crowned him as king. Only he has the right to rule. Now get this. Get this, okay? I'm reading in Luke, right? I get to chapter 3. And now Zechariah's miracle baby, John the Baptist, has grown up. He's out in the wilderness, and he's waiting for the word of God to say, now, go. Now's the time, right? And so Luke 3 starts off talking about how the word of God came to John to launch him into declaring, you know, make way for King Jesus and, and all that he did, which was a word of unity. It was saying it's time to come into alignment, people. And so John, uh, Luke 1 starts off, though, with giving a massive time stamp about when this word came to God. It lists who the what year it was of the reign, reign of the emperor and who the, what his name was. He says who was governor over the city and the land. He says who was governor over the other cities involved. He talks about um, who was ruling in all of these, like, four cities, okay? Massive time stamp. And it says, the last little time stamp says, this happened during the days of the two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. Now get this. Brian Simmons says that never in Jewish history had there been two high priests. The priesthood was corrupt. Even though Caiaphas, Annas's son-in-law, was the high priest, Annas remained the real authoritative leader behind the scenes. I, I saw in detail about the actual reign. Annas was a high priest at one time, but just to give you a perspective, Jesus was around, would have been around 14 years old the last time he was the high priest. Now, Jesus, John is about to announce his three years of ministry, so he would have been 30. That's how long the guy had not been officially a high priest. But he was still called, even in scripture, by the people. He was known as one of two high priests. So what is that a picture of? That is a picture of what I just described of two high priests. Jesus is our high priest now. Remember, he died, he was resurrected, he tore the veil, he's the one making the sacrifice for us, he is our high priest interceding for us. He's the high priest, but what do I do when I say, well, I'm still in control, partly? I'm saying, well, I didn't really relinquish my official position as high priest of my life. I'm still going to influence and the land, the people around me, I'm going to influence the culture with what I think as high priest of myself. This is symbolic of the very priest that plotted to kill Jesus, to crucify him. It was the two of them. The first place that they, when they, when they, you know, the Roman soldiers went to the garden and, and took Jesus captive, they didn't even take him to Caiaphas. They took him to Annas' house who had not been a high priest for over 15 years because he was known blatantly to be controlling the atmosphere and leading away. Now, another interesting tidbit on this, you know, these were Roman-appointed priests. And as I've been reading lately about the history of 
the Israelites and when they were and exiled, the I realized this was a strategy of the enemy, literally a strategy of the enemy. Like the Babylonians literally said, well, you can, I may not have, it may not have been the Babylonians, but you get the idea, right? I may not have all these details right, but they said, you, um, Jewish people, yes, you can go back and worship. You can go home and, and worship in, in Jerusalem in the temple, and you can, you're free to do that, okay? But they infiltrated the leadership of the Jewish people they chose who would be the teachers of the Jewish religion to the Jewish people. They were enemy-appointed leadership. So this is exactly what I described. When we are injured, in, when we're young, when the enemy targets us because it's the enemy setting you up as high priest over your own life. The enemy says, well, I am going to set you up so that you will forever remain the watchman over this particular issue. You will never let anybody run over you again. You will never let anybody control you again. You will make sure nobody does you wrong again. You established, the the enemy established you as high priest over your own life. And years later, even after becoming a Christian and receiving the salvation of the Lord, you're still operating behind the scenes. You made him king, but you have not relinquished control. Now think back to this incredible vision that he gave me. Jesus was on the cross. That's why Jesus was on the cross in my vision, because I have still been operating as high priest. I have still been operating just like Annas and Caiaphas, having two high priests in my life, who are the very ones who plotted to have Jesus crucified on the cross. The very ones who handed him over, manipulated the system for Jesus to be on the cross. And so that's what the vision was pointing to. I wrote that I find it relieving to ask him to lead me because I'm well aware that I don't know what is best on the front end. Right? I don't know which way to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. That is obvious to me. You take the reins and tell me which way to go. That's more comfortable for me. Thank you. You know. But I realize now I have held on to expectations on the backside. And if I'm holding on to expectations, then I'm still assuming a measure of control. I am essentially saying you can lead me, Jesus, but just know I expect so-and-so outcome. And if I don't see that outcome, I will blame you. That better describes a conversation with a bondservant than a king. A bondservant is a, someone who's basically a slave, but a little bit different than a slave. They don't get paid a wage. It's like out of an arrangement. An arrangement. That's not the conversation with the king. If he's king, he gets to choose. That means he gets to choose every outcome simply because he is king. He owes me no explanation. He is king. His chosen outcomes are no reflection on his love or the ability of his love to meet every single need in me. It doesn't matter what outcome I experienced in 2020. That doesn't have anything to do with how God loves me or his ability to heal me. 
not what whatsoever. It doesn't have anything to do with who he is, whether how much I can trust him, nothing. He gets to choose it because he's he's king. He's God. He knows. He sees the big picture. I already know he knows more than I do, right? So his chosen outcomes in my life are no reflection on his love or the ability of his love to meet my every single need. The moment I entered his embrace, love became my home, my resting place. Every other outcome beyond that moment, okay? That was the outcome of the moment I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Love became my home. Every other outcome beyond that moment became irrelevant to love and dedicated fully to his glory. Outcomes are for his glory, not meeting my needs. Outcomes have nothing to do with meeting my needs. It's all for his glory, and he gets to choose how he'll be glorified. If he doesn't want to be glorified in today, you know, in this particular moment, that's his choice. He knows what kind of glory he needs and wants, right? I don't pretend to know. That's up to him. Every outcome beyond the moment love became my home became irrelevant to the nature of love and dedicated fully to his glory. Now, I, I just, to close up, I wanted to share one more thing, and I'll try to, to sum it up here in the interest of time. Bill also shared in his message the role of the Holy Spirit to search the mind of God, to find that which would make us more whole. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. None of this that I shared today had entered in my heart, in my eyes. I couldn't see it. No matter who talked to me, no matter how many books I read, sermons I listened to. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. I realize this is exactly what I have experienced this past week. He shared, Bill shared that the Holy Spirit has the responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to find that which makes me more complete in expressing a complete and full gospel of power. I knew he had been turning my eye to see his part more fully in this amazing journey. He brought my attention to the fact that Jesus is now seated in heaven, interceding for me, and the Holy Spirit is constantly searching the heart of God for what I don't have and what I don't know and declaring it into my atmosphere. Jesus is interceding. I mean, doesn't that shift your perspective of how much you are provided for and cared for and how much isn't on us? Two-thirds of the Godhead. It's our nature as believers to hear what he is revealing to us through his spirit. But sometimes that nature has been weighed down and covered up by fears, doubts, anger, sorrow, etc. But in his goodness, the Holy Spirit carries out his responsibility to search the heart of God for the truths we need to hear to bring us back to wholeness. What a good, good father. 
I'm so thankful I finally reached the place of admitting to myself and to him the true state of my soul after loss. I'm so thankful I finally opened the door so he could come in and be who he longs to be for me. He never asked me to resolve my disappointment on my own or to polish it up and paint it pretty for him. He never asked me to bear the weight of what kind of testimony it would be for him. It was never on me to manage the loss, the defeat, the betrayal. In fact, I now see that he had already preordained it to be an opportunity to enter the back door of the throne room, as Bill called it. The throne room where great power is demonstrated. I'm so thankful to have been reminded that the gospel does not change or get redefined by what I do or don't experience. Jesus is absolute. The gospel is absolute. If I believe it to be true, then my role is to make sure I stay calibrated to it. If I believe it to be true, then it's my role to make every necessary adjustment in my life for the power of the gospel to be demonstrated through it according to Jesus's standard. What freedom, peace, and true rest comes from realizing that it is not my role to fix or resolve all the problems I have, all the needs I have. My role is to keep my heart clear, open, and free so that Jesus has space in me to demonstrate himself. My role is to be the temple, not the king. When Jesus is truly king, he is more than able to tend to me so that his power can be demonstrated through me. So I hope this message has blessed you today and just been in demonstration. You may have to listen to it more than once, but the the love and care and the tender affection and the the nurturing details, the healing, the wholeness, the, it is very much like the heart of a mother over their young child, which is something he said, the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to start mothering you, is what the Holy Spirit told me recently. I shared on that not long ago. And he's, he's doing it. This was an example of it. If within one week, he orchestrated all of this, I didn't do a thing. I fell on my face. I just flopped. I mean, I just froze up. I just did the old thing that the enemy used to do, which is, you know, it frees me up. And I had struggles. And like Tisa said, I had in the intermission, which I had for a dream that, you know, there were battles, intense battles, triggers from back in first grade were being stirred up. But he did it. He brought it all together. He completely, completely revealed these truths that now I get to practice and walk out and continue to align my heart with. So, Papa, again, I just pray that you would be glorified and honored through this and and that you would do for these people what you have done for me. I just thank you that it is such in keeping with your heart to, to peel that film off of the truths that we are trying to operate with and run with but are, are somehow not quite connecting and finding their home in our heart, which means we aren't experiencing the fullness of the freedom. And it's your heart for us to be free. You came For that very purpose, Jesus, for us to be free, to be healed, and to be whole. So I pray that all of us would indulge you and give you the gift of letting you be who you want to be to us. And I thank you for your incredible demonstration of your goodness to me in a brand new way. So I bless this word. I bless the hearer. I bless the hearts and minds. And I pray that you would make it personal, 
Make it personal for them, Holy Spirit, through dreams, visions, encounters, conversations, whatever they need. So I thank you, and I love you so, so much. I love you, I love you, and I'm so grateful. We love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Let's just stand. Let's just let's just thank Papa. I just release this word right now, this prophetic word that would just go in and would just sever things that we've held on to for so long we didn't even understand. And even if we don't fully understand every single thing that was said today, this is your job, Holy Spirit. And I just rest today that the power of the Holy Spirit will go in just like a, like she said, like a scalpel. And it'll sever things off us, cut things off of us, even thin things that are just help keeping us from experiencing your complete freedom. So I just release it right now and i just do what you say honor the prophet where the honor is due we just honor cc today for what all that you have birthed in her even through this and how that we have watched her uh, go through this trauma and how that you have full circle redeemed it right here today before our eyes and so if you will do that for one, you're no respecter of persons. And so we just lay at your feet today. Just there's anything in your heart today that that you consider is a trauma, drama, that you consider something that you have not been able to get over even for years. I just propose today, if you would just do what she said, that you would just expose it to the one, to the Holy Spirit, who's constantly searching the heart of God to bring healing to you. And this is a house that believes in inner healing and believes that our ministry should come from a healed place. And so I just release the power of your anointing right now to heal us so that we will be those brides. This is the answer that those brides who have made themselves ready. So I just release it in Jesus' name. Even while I was sitting here in service, Lana Vosser sent out a word just today about the blueprint I'll just send that out today to y'all, but I just feel like this word, like I said, is a blueprint to understanding the watchman ministry and the watchman anointing and the temple building anointing, and that's what we're pursuing right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.